Hello and welcome back to Bring It In. My name is Abigail Smithson, aka the basketball-loving art professor, and I am back again and so excited to guest host another episode of Bring It In. And this time it is an absolute privilege to have the chance to welcome NBA legend Muggsy Bogues to the show. Muggsy, thank you for coming on. I am so thrilled to have the chance to chat with you. Oh, thank you for having me and sorry for my tardiness. Please, Muggsy, no problem. And I have to tell you that when I was little growing up in California, I used to watch you get up early on Saturday mornings to watch doubleheaders that were taking place on the East Coast when you played on the Hornets. Um, and it was something that got me out of bed. So thank you so much for all that you have given to basketball. It's so exciting to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you for that. It was such a joy to be uh, to be blessed to be able to play for the Hornets. I mean, it really was a match made in heaven when I came into Carolina. So I'm so thankful I had that opportunity. Yes, absolutely. And um, we are here because you have written a memoir entitled Muggsy, My Life from a Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Small Ball. So to start with, I'm wondering what made you decide to want to write this book at this particular moment? I know you have written an autobiography before, but I'm wondering, like, you know, sort of what happened at this time that you decided to to put forward this book? Well, you know, the pandemic happened. And, uh, and as you alluded to, I have written one uh, early in 93 and 94, when my father passed and good friend Reggie Lewis had passed, and it was the beginning of my career. Um, this one, uh, I've been away from the game 20 years, uh, removed from the game, uh, being at home during the pandemic. You know, I just felt like we needed some positivity, some positiveness out there in the atmosphere, and, uh, and I wanted to share my story. I've uh, been through a quite an ordeal. Um, I had an impact on not only uh, my life, but on some some of my colleagues that I played with, as well as some of the current players today. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about those relationships and, and, and sh they shared their, you know, impact that I had on their lives and uh, the relationship that I had with me and my wife rekindled and uh, our love once again after being divorced for 10 years. Um, I also wanted to share you know, about giving back to the community and, and so forth. So I just want to give some folks out there more of a positive belief that, you know, if a kid like me came from the projects, we've overcome so much, you know, the barriers, um, the challenges that he had outside his, his door, his environment and so forth. I mean, anybody can overcome their, you know, adversity and obstacles in life. So I just wanted to put that out in the world to kind of give not only the parents, but the kids as well, that type of feeling that, they could be whoever they want to be in life. Yes, and that is so valuable. And there are so many sweet stories in your memoir um, that have to do with your family, that have to do with your teammates. You know, maybe your found family on your on your uh, team, and, and it's just it's all really sort of wonderful to to get to to read. Um, so I'm wanting to start kind of from from the beginning, uh, the beginning of the book and, and your story as well. So one thing that I noticed from the beginning is um, you seem you have a very close knit family that you refer to throughout the whole book. Um, and growing up, you talk about all the nicknames that existed in your family. So you say in the book, in our family, we're all short and everyone has nicknames. That's us. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about what nicknames meant to your family and also, I mean, nicknames with other players. You, you have a nickname for Reggie Williams. You call him Russ, I believe. Um, and just like sort of the, the beauty of familiarity through nicknames and, and a sort of intimacy that comes with that. Yeah, and that's the part of growing up in that, in that inner city uh, where I come from in Baltimore. And 
everyone kind of not known for their original name uh, for some or thing or some that they remind them of of a, some person or, or something that they kind of simulated. Um, it, it just brings out that type of character. Um, you become that individual for some odd reason. And I used to be Apple when I was in my right. household. Yes. You know, my nickname was Apple until I got outside and started pursuing the game of basketball. And then Muggsy came and took over. And I've been Muggsy ever since. Uh, my sister, you know, her name was Sharon. Her given name was Sharon, but we call her Helen. And, you know, and because she act more like our aunt and our older uh, uh, yes. aunties and, 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 and carried that type of character uh, around. And, and, and now, you know, Brother Anthony, whose name is Stro, you know, so those type of names that and, and Chucky, who is original name is Richard. Um, so, I mean, those were some names that we was able to obtain growing up, and it stuck throughout our our years of of, of life, and it became who we are and part of us. And you know, only thing my mom never did call me was Muggsy. She always called me Ty. Mm. So, stuck with that and I was given that name by a childhood friend um, by the name of Dwayne Wood and mainly it came from me still in the basketball they say he's mugging everybody yes. and then a show used to come on every Saturday morning uh, called the Bowery Boys and one of the characters of that show happened, named, happened to be Muggsy and he was the smallest one among his crew so that kind of tied in and, and it fit and it's been Ever since I've been seven years old, that name has been given to me and stuck with me ever since. Yeah, I really I loved that as like a particular part of like that kind of was a reflection of your family and also your time having teammates and, you know, playing basketball, street basketball and things like that. Um, I'm also wondering, I know you played other sports besides basketball, when basketball became your main, your main focus and when it really clicked for you. Yeah, wrestling was also one of my main passions. Um, and that's mainly because, you know, wrestling had no type of uh, criteria in terms of height criteria, uh, requirements. Um, as long as you was fast, quick, and strong and can outdo your opponent, then those were the main criteria mm -hmm. that you to compete in that sport. So it was no judgment there for me. And that's why I really fit in really well now. And I kind of gravitated towards wrestling. But basketball always was, was a passion. And it was something mainly because I was really interested in And it was people telling me that I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't be able to play it. And that just fueled me. And it came and gave me that extra incentive to, to prove them wrong, uh, even though I played football. So, But once I got to high school, the two seasons correlated with one another. They ran in the same season. Mm -hmm. Coach had told me I had to make a decision one way or other and thankful I picked the other in terms of basketball. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering um, how sort of, you know, you had so much success in basketball with the Dunbar Poets known to be the most you know, the winningest ba uh, high school basketball team in the history of the country, you know? And so I'm wondering sort of what it felt like to have so much success at su such a young age and also to do that alongside people that you grew up with, other players that you had, you know, developed with as an, a player that you knew their games, all of that. Oh, it was it was special then uh, while we was in the moment. But even looking back now, 
and seeing how teams do come together and how people recruiting these type of high school players and bring them all together. I mean, it's even special. It makes it even that much more special um, because we, as you just alluded to, we all was from the area. I mean, it was, it was a school that uh, we had history from not only from a basketball standpoint, but from a family standpoint. Mm -hmm. my, my brothers went to uh, Dunbar. My aunts and uncles went to Dunbar. So it was a history there in our family. And they just the same with some, some same with Reggie Wayne, Russ, and, you know, their families as well. We all lived in the neighborhood. But the school was right across the street. Um, so that was a, a, a school that we all felt like we can go and, and form and play with one another and, and, and form this great dynasty. Um, and luckily for us, again, as I say, we all really lived in that neighborhood and which made it that much special. And for us to be able to accomplish the things that we was able to accomplish um, then the, within those two seasons that I was there, I mean, it, it's unheard of, as you said, one of the best teams that's ever been assembled uh, with four of us fortunate enough being able to go and make it into the NBA. And, and mainly the entire team was fortunate enough to get a Division One scholarship. And that's all credit to Coach Wade, who really guided that whole ego um, in terms of managing those may, uh, strong egos that he had on that team. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and you almost didn't get the chance to go to Dunbar because you were bust to another school. Is this right? And then they lost your transfer, your transcript, and they couldn't, you couldn't get into Dunbar until they found it or what? Ha like that seems, I mean, if things had gone a different direction, Dunbar basketball might not be so legendary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And that is so true. I mean, the first year and at that time, um, you know, we didn't have middle school back when, during that time. It was elementary. We went to elementary school, junior high school, then from junior high school, to a high school. Um, and right after we left junior high school, we got sent to which our address considered to be a zone school, which the school was the school that your address considered you supposed to go to. And my address had me going to Southern, even though we all lived in the same neighborhood on different streets. But Reggie Williams address had him going to Lake Clifton. Mm. But and, and David Wingate went to Northern. But they was fortunate enough to, to locate their transcripts and was able to transfer it out to Dunbar. But for some odd reason, when we my moms went to go lake, locate my transcripts, Southern said it was missing and they didn't have them. And uh, for some odd reason, they was mysteriously missing until the end of the season, until I was able to um, locate them after that one season and then I was able to transfer it. But, it was kind of a strange situation how my records all of a sudden was missing and they weren't able to be located for an entire year. Sure. Uh, yeah, very strange. And I'm glad you I'm glad you made it. <laughs> and I'm thinking that it has something to do with the coaches that was there who wanted me to be part of their program for yeah. a long But thankful that things worked out in, in my favor. Yeah, you can't blame him for wanting him to maybe for wanting you to play for the team um yes and so I also am wondering you know talk about coach Wade in the book and throughout the book there are these beautiful anecdotes that are shared from different people that have been part of your life in different ways your daughter Alonzo Mourning um uh Del Curry I believe shared Rex Chapman um and coach Wade as well your uh your coach throughout your uh I guess middle school and elementary school 
And if you just want to talk a little bit more about him and sort of what he what he meant to you. Well, Coach Sway was everything to us. I mean, he was, especially at that time in our life, uh, a young adult. Um, we felt we was prepared enough skillfully for me and Reggie because Mr. Howard had prepared us uh, more than ever as, uh, as far as our skill set concerned on the basketball court. Um, but Mr. Wade came into play where many of us didn't have our fathers at the time. Uh, my father got taken away at 12. A lot of us didn't have him in the household. So he played that kind of role and mentoring us, guiding us. And he was a prime, he was a great example to, to, to look from because he was a former professional athlete who, who experienced what the professional ranks was all about, mm -hmm. as well as what the academics stood for and how um, meaningful that was need to play in your life. And him being able to come home and give that to us and share that type of uh, you know experience that he endured and also be able to put his own disciplinary in, in effect, which allowed us to be the best team that we can be. And as I said, we had strong egos on that team. And he was such a great leader. I mean, he understood. I mean, he was so empath empathetic with us because he understood where we came from. Uh, he made us all accountable. I mean, he had the vision uh, in terms of what the task was at hand. And I mean, I think what the most important thing is about the gratitude, how we was able to uh, conduct ourselves, carry ourselves. Uh, he always stressed about character, body language, um, how to display that. And, and even though we talked about winning and losing, uh, we never experienced the losing side of it, but how to be grateful and how to hold your head up and don't get too even killed in terms of winning and losing and not being able to understand how to have good sportsmanship when it all take place. So having that understanding mm -hmm. and being able to guide us, I mean, that, that meant everything. Absolutely. And it's great to hear more about him from you after having read the book. I mean, there is, he has given, you know, a lot of um, space in the book, but it's wonderful to also hear more about what he meant to you. Yeah. He just, like I said, he just did so much for us. I mean, at that time in our lives and, and being able to, you know, provide that type of guidance meant the world to Yes, absolutely. And so I, I'm going to move on to a quote from um, the book that, that you have in there that I want to read and maybe discuss with you. Um, so you, you say, the problem is people don't always see past their own preconceptions, their own shortcomings. It shouldn't matter the height of a player if he or she can get their teammates the ball, hit the open shot, and stop their opponents from scoring. That's why the only thing that's ever stood in my way was the absence of opportunity. So I'm wondering, at what point in your relationship with basketball did you realize that the hangups people had about your ability to play, any questions they had, was more about them than it was about you? Well, I mean, that was just the area I was faced with trying to break down those barriers. And and it only mattered to me was the coaches, you know, being able to have an impact out on the floor. And, and what I was meaning by that, if I was able to play against the best, have success and the best, you must be included. Uh, being able to, to run the position or play the position that I had to play was the point guard uh, position. You're responsible for not only yourself, you're responsible for others as well. And being able to put them in a position where they could be, you can run, and at the same time being able to be successful yourself, and then at the end of the result that you guys come out on top and be, you know, 
that's something that needs to be recognized and regardless of what size or what shape or condition that person is in, if he having that type of impact, he or she. And that's what I kind of meant by that. Yeah, that was really a, sort of an, a wonderful quote to see. And also just, you know, that it um, sort of as far as like having blinders on, focusing on what you can bring to the game rather than you know, people are going to say what they're going to say. And it's more about them, what they're going to say than it is about you or what you can bring. Yeah, people always have their own perception. Um, as long as you don't allow that to come onto who you are and, and creep into you, I mean, you'll always be fine. Um, and that's the beauty of it. You know, sometimes the ordinary could be extraordinary in terms of the confidence they have within themselves. And that's what separates those from others um, with that type of mindset. Yes. And you brought up, you know, that you were a point guard and, you know, what that position might mean to you. But it is so much about, you know, setting the table for other people and assisting other people and, and creating success for other people. And I just wonder, like, what it meant to, you know, that feeling that comes from from being part of an assist, you know, like you the beautiful pass, someone else, you know, scores the scores a basket, you know, you're, you have this floor vision, court vision, where you're able to see kind of how things are moving and you're directing it. Like, what is that feeling like? For, I'm asking as a non-player. So please, like, I mean, just that's, that seems like such a beautiful thing to be a part of, to create success for others. Oh, absolutely. It's like an orchestrator. Pretty much see what actually happened and you're able to see it to its fruition. Um, being able to create it as well and, and make it all come to a fruition. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, being able to, to see and operate it in a way where um, you're able to control it and to the point to where you can able dictate what the outcome could be. That's an awesome, awesome feeling. And knowing that you have control and that aspect, I mean, that's one that gives you the confidence knowing that you can prevail. Um, and that's the beautiful thing for me. I always, you know, I get a joy more so of assisting than scoring yourself because you helping others be able to be successful as well as opposed to just an individual thing. Yeah, that collaboration, that sort of finding each other and, and sort of, what you know, having it play out. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch, so I can only imagine how it feels to get to be a part of it. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry if I cut out for a second. Yeah, just the collaborative aspect of it, you know, and being able to find people and see them with the ball. Absolutely. And and seeing what they and knowing what they're capable of doing with that ball, uh, and putting them in the position because you gotta make sure that you understand what well give it to them too early or where, you know, they're not able to do what they're capable of doing. So having that understanding of who they are and giving it to them at that precise time really makes a difference. Yes, absolutely. Another thing that I think comes up in the book so much is the community aspect of it. And so, you know, starting with your family and the, and the, the friends that you make via basketball or in your neighborhood, and then also how commun what community means once you're in the NBA to you on the Hornets, you know, coming up with Del Curry um, and, and other players that you formed a strong bond with. So just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what community means to the NBA, to you, to the NBA, like how that sort of has functioned and, and been a part of your career. Well, I'm just blessed. I mean, and it's all, I mean, for me to be able to be in a position where I can serve and, and give back, yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, coming up, I mean, my mom always stressed about if, you know, if you always have an opportunity to, to uplift others, then you need to do it. Um, and you want that for yourself. 
So you need to do that for others. And once you get in a position able to do that, and how small or big you're able to do it, then you need to be able to, you know, put a whole lot of effort behind it and make it come to a fruition. And that's something that I always believe in. That's one of the reasons why I started the Mother Boat Family Foundation, because I want to help those uh, reach their full potential. Uh, a lot of the at-risk kids don't get those resources, don't have the platform in order to achieve their goals. And I just want to create that platform and that opportunity to where they can able to have those certain resources where it can kind of take pressure off of their parents and their families and where they could just focus mainly on the tasks that they set out to be the best they can be. Um, and that's something that I always believed in and I will continue to the last breath. Yes. And I mean, that feels like kind of operating like a point guard off the court in many ways, you know, try helping, helping other um, people in whatever way you can to help, to help them be successful. And do you, sorry, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I inspire to inspire. So that's just something to, uh, I'm thankful to be waking up to. Yes. And do you think that, you know, from the time that you played into the NBA to how the NBA is now, of course, it's a different, it's changed in some ways, perhaps, and there's different sort of um, community might mean something different. And so you, you are, as a current ambassador for the Charlotte Hornets, you're still involved with the NBA. And so I'm just wondering if there's a difference that you've seen from when you played to now how community functions in the NBA. Well, I think it's grown. I mean, the NBA continue to keep growing. They continue to keep involving. I mean, even when we was playing back in our day, they always have opportunities where they went out into the community keep serving. And now it's still take they, and they continue to take it to a whole new level and where they got NBA care, um, not only just here in the United States, but it's all it's a global uh, effort now. Uh, health, wealth and, and, and health and wellness is always mm-hmm. at the forefront. And when you're able to continue to implement those components into the grassroots levels, I mean, that's where it all starts. And I think that's where they continue to, uh, to, to keep emphasizing and keep um, educating and keep throwing those type of resources in the communities, in those type of programs, which will allow you know, everybody to feel part of the NBA. Yes, and there's been so many conversations recently in the NBA about mental health and the importance of mental health and, you know, the value of taking care of yourself in that way. And, I mean, do you think is, uh, the support system that you had when you were in Charlotte with the Currys and, and other players, do you think that that contributed to, like, your overall well- well-being as a, as a player and as a person in that larger community? Oh, absolutely. It all played in fact, I think. I believe people that you come in contact with and you have involvement with and you're able to be around and spend quite a bit of time will always have that type of effect on you and kind of guide you in certain ways and influence you in certain ways. And it normally is a positive way, especially when you're around good people. And and having to be around those type of individuals allowed me to continue to grow and blossom and to be the to the man that I am today and I think all that has some parallel in terms of your growth and when you're able to continue to understand that and understand and stay on in the path that you're on I mean I mean that, that's a wonderful thing when you have that type of understanding who you are and where you're going and where you want to go yes and some of the stories that in the book about your daughter growing up with Steph Curry, I think he gave her her, her first diamond ring or something like that. Like those are, that's so sweet. There's so, so many nice 
little anecdotes that kind of uh, are part of this larger story that connecting the dots over time, you know, and, and, and I think that, you know, just the influence that you had on Steph. And I'd love to talk more about just like what it means for you to watch how small ball functions in the NBA now as the godfather of it, like as someone who, who created it, what it means to have this, to have Steph who you had a lot of interaction with when he was growing up and were giving guidance to and showing him moves and Seth as well, like be at the forefront of, of it now. Uh, I'm just so on it. Uh, here with, Oh, and, and you're correct. I mean, growing up with the Carries, I mean, that our family was close. You know, Dell and I played, you know, 11 years out of my 14 years of playing. And, you know, our family's always been close. And, of course, the kids have been close as well. And, and them having that little, you know, relationship and, and able to continue to understand where they are today. And they both blossom. And I'm just so grateful to see, I scrudge my daughter blossom, but to see Stefan and Seth as sure, well as Adele as well. Um, to see to see all three of them coming to their own, I mean, it's it just, it just breathtaking. Um, but to see Seth and Stefan, I mean, especially Steph, to accumulate all the accolades that he has, I mean, four-time champion, I mean, two-time MVP, unanimously MVP in the finals. I mean, you could just go on, the list goes on and on. And for him to be considered the best player to lace it up ever, I mean, the best shooter to ever lace it up in the NBA. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I mean, knowing that you was giving that kid at four years old that airplane ride in the locker room and not knowing that he was going to turn out to be that. I mean, it, it's just remarkable just to be seeing what they're able to do, not only on the court, but off the court as well, because he does so much. I mean, the young uh, generation, I mean, he changed the culture. I mean, but he also gives so many kids belief and inspired that they can be who they want to be and all the resources and all the programs that he have now um, that he and not only just in California I mean he's pretty much all over I mean I'm just so grateful to be here to be witnessing it yes, all and, and what about just you know your your brand of basketball seeing that played in and out you know every night it's it's I mean of course Steph is like leading the pack in many ways, but it's that is just the the way that the game is played now. So just wondering how that also uh, the impact that has on you. It is, and that's true. I mean, um, uh, when I was literally talking about the small ball, I was literally talking about you know a small individual playing the game, and but the game of small ball is what it is. I mean, having to where they kind of not having true positions um, to where now they have guards that similar side Damian Lillard and CJ McCullum out there in the backcourt together where they consider small ball. We you know we had that back in our we had Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumas in the backcourt, you know, um, but at that time it wasn't looked at as small ball because mm -hmm. you had others around it and balls could be able to hold his own. But the way it is now, I mean, I love it. I love how the game has evolved. Uh, it's, it's really has become a, a more of a scoring type of entertainment as opposed to giving the defense more of a, a, an advantage. But I think they're trying to get back more to giving the defense a, a, a more advantage. The playoff was amazing. I think it was more physical than I have ever seen it in 20 years and the way it allowed, the, allowed Boston and, and those teams play the way they're capable of playing. Um, so I'm just a fan of the game, and I love to see, you know, 
this now considered small ball, as they say, sure. out there playing the game. And I mean, what does it sort of, as a fan, like, what does that look like for you? And as an ambassador of the game, you know, are you watch it? You watch NBA games regularly? Are you going to the, like, what, what are you, how does your fandom sort of show itself? <laughs> Yeah. No, I go to quite a few games. I go to quite a few games. Quite a few of the Hornets, whenever the Hornets, you know, whoever they play, I love going to the game. My wife loved to the game, going to the sure, game. So like, I got to go to the game. But, uh, yeah, just I just love basketball. And I just love the, the young talent. I love LaMelo Ball and what he's bringing to the game and um, the excitement. Uh, you know, you got the city, you got the arena electrified once again. So, you know, you feel good about that in that regards. And then the players that comes in, the John Morants, you know, the Tatums, the Browns. I mean, this young generation is, is, is the NBA is so well prepared when these, when our true, all the super superstars decide to move on. I mean, the game has really still going to be in a great place because of this young talent, the Trey Youngs of the world. I mean, Luca, I mean, I can keep going on with Giannis, who's only years old and Jokers and LEB uh, or Joel. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's great to be seeing this type of talent. Yes. On I'm the so display. glad you brought up LaMelo Ball because I was just, uh, see, I saw the other day that the NBA posted about him cause it was his birthday and he's 20, only 21 now. And I was thinking, wow, he's very young still. <laughs> I think that, you know, you know that people come into the league maybe around a certain age, but then, I'm like forgetting sometimes how young you're saying Giannis is 26 years old. Like, wow. I, I know they they so young and it's they've been around for a long time. I mean, and it's just and for the mellow kid. I mean, he, we've been knowing about him since he's been 14 years old. I mean, because he's been in the public, uh, in the publics for so long, and then now entering the scene as a 19 year old as a rookie, and then now in the all stars a twenty year old and here he is now turning twenty. So it's it's awesome to see these kids grow and watching them and their game evolve as well. Um, and it just like I say, Demello and Ja Morant, those two really stick out along with with Ant Man the Edwards up in Minnesota. I mean, we got some really great talent, young talent that to be looking forward to yeah, for years to come. It's so it's so exciting getting to watch. It's really every Almost every game, there's a play where I'm not at the game, so I'm gra grabbing onto a couch pillow. <laughs> Maybe. Oh my God, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Right, I do have to see the house, yeah, and I, I can lie down, you know, there's the nice things, yeah. Yeah. Y'all, the commentating going back and forth. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, sort of, some stuff outside of your career. I, you know, Space Jam was a very special movie to me uh, and uh, still is. Like, I still have a lot of, uh, you know, anytime I can watch it, if, you know, there's, um, if there's some kind, like, some kind of special uh, showing or something, it's really exciting to watch and brings back a lot of good memories. And I would just love to hear you share more about your time being in Space Jam. Losing your powers. Uh, yeah, that was uh, such For a little while. Yeah, a little bit. I was losing my power for a while, and I used to have kids come to my door and ask me, "Did I have my powers back?" <laughs> How crazy it was! Uh, but it was such an unbelievable moment. It was a surreal moment being able to be part of such. Now, and I didn't thought at that time it'd be such a classic movie. I mean, we had so much fun on the set. 
I mean, we was there for two and a half weeks, and boy, every minute and second of it was laughable, joyful, whatever you can call it. I mean, we just had a ball on that set. I mean, the time we was there, um, seeing it all come together, and then of course the, the famous pickup basketball game they created when they had to create the, the gym for Michael, so he could be able to go play uh, when he was making his comeback. Um, and that was something, you know, was interesting that we talked about because we wound up playing them in the playoff um, that year uh, after I had to have surgery once we shot the movie uh, that summer. Um, but it was, um, I tell you, it, it's really still um, a kick. I still get a kick when I watch it like you to this day. I watched it a few weeks ago. It came on, and I was strolling the channel, and I saw it on, and I kind of, stay there and, and, and watch us lose our powers and and get them back yeah. at the end um did you cringe we... when the aliens touch the ball and take your towers out of there and <laughs> you're like you know your arms are like flailing around or whatever. yeah yeah that over over so good, to yeah. my body. and what was it like to yeah. work with other nba players on something like that i mean we know that's like you know the summer that michael jordan was on a rampage <laughs> after having come back from playing baseball um, to work towards, uh, you know, a championship again and having these pickup games uh, and things like that, but just being in that sort of different environment with other players. It was great. Well, you know, I had an opportunity to do some early on in my career. Me and Charles mm -hmm. Barkley did SNL together. I was able to, to have fun with that, but, and I did hang time with, uh, with Anthony Anderson before he became was such a mega star so I had a few opportunities but I mean working with those guys I mean we it was a it was a treat because they all was professional they all knew exactly how the you know to read their lines and we were just having fun in the process and just enjoying the atmosphere and all within itself and yeah I, I'm sorry uh, I was saying that um you know just the opportunity being on set especially with the guys I mean because after the season over, we rarely go into your separate places where you go back to family stuff um, because of you've been together for six months already. Um, so you want to kind of use that own time. But we had an opportunity to come together and work with one another, which was a great opportunity, a great moment for all of us. Yes. Well, I'm grateful that you did it. I'm grateful you said yes. <laughs> an iconic piece uh, in our culture that has stood, I would say, 100% stood the test of time. Like, there's a lot of children's movies, yeah, maybe not so much. That's true. Especially considering a basketball movie. But it has so many other elements in it besides the basketball. We're adding the Looney Tunes and Bill Murray and so forth. So we have so many characters yes, in it as well. Yes, absolutely. And there's also, there's a... Uh, Seinfeld connection. I'm forgetting the name of the actor who uh, is um, like meant to help Michael Jordan with all of his activities, but then he's also in Seinfeld and you have been on Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. <laughs> so you've gone from like a kid's movie to like, you know, the HBO sort of like more adult content. <laughs> um, but yeah, so many cool yeah. opportunities. Yeah, that was so many cool opportunities. I had a blast working with Richard Lawson and David Letterman. I mean, uh, uh, Larry yes. David um, on the set. That was such a, a treat. They guys had me laughing the entire time. I mean, it was an improv type of situation, and I told them they had the right guy for the for the for the for the part. 
And uh, we just had a ball and a blast just having fun on the set. Um, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. Yes, I mean, Larry David, it seems, is one of those people that they could be talking about the most mundane thing in the world, like a muffin. <laughs> and it's hilarious. <laughs> What's wrong with this muffin? You know? Yeah. Like, so it's so, um, that type of humor is such a fun thing to, to, I'm sure, to get to witness in person. Absolutely, it was. And he's such a pro at it. I had no idea he was had that underneath of his shirt. Once I was about to hit him, and he all of a sudden, he about to have a heart attack, and that was such amazing. It threw me off too. I'm like, oh my goodness, that yeah, is he really have a heart attack? <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. So I like. I'm wondering also now that the book has is finished, has been written, is out in the world. Sort of, you know. I I think that of course we get from people that we don't know that well. We get snapshots from them of their life. You know we don't know the whole story necessarily. So I think that's what one of the things that's so powerful is that um, knowing like getting to read this entire story, these, these hard things that you're talking about loss and death. And um, you were shot when you were five years old and and had to recover from that. Um, All of these things that have been a part of your life alongside these really exciting moments of, you know, getting drafted into the NBA, winning with the Dunbar Poets, uh, being in Space Jam, just to present all of it, just wondering, you know, how it feels to have, have shared. Well, I, you know, I feel, I feel good about that. I was able to share it. I mean, like I said, during that time of the pandemic, everybody was kind of down and going through their own similar situations. And I just wanted to put something positive out in the atmosphere and, and hope that someone can kind of get that energy that I was trying to put out there. You know, it's more of a heartfelt type of book. Um, and then I wanted to kind of put that spirit out there that where they possibly can, you know, go over and, and rethink some things and, and change some things and possibly to help them, you know, move it forward. In their life. Yes, I feel that so much, that heartfeltness. Um, it felt like it came so much from you as far as just when you say that's us about your family, you know, and this is me with this whole book. This is me. And I think, you know, there's not, you know, a linear path to how things are or that uh, there's um, struggles and pain and, and all of that as a part of this um, and, and being able to present that in, in a way that's like, there's, you know, we, you keep going, you keep going and you've, you, you know, that no matter what, and that's so, that's such a powerful thing to to put out there. Well, thank you. Yeah, and that's the only way I know is just to keep going. I mean, we all have our issues, our limitations, but one thing we have is an opportunity. And when you have an opportunity, anything is possible. As long as you just continue to believe, strive to be the best, you know, ain't nothing wrong with having, you know, a strong faith, um, but just believing and, and, and just, you know, putting that, action behind the the, the the thought process that you've been counting around in your head for so long. And, and, and you never know what the outcome would be. I mean, you it, normally nine times out of ten, is it, it wound up being a great outcome, but you probably can't see it at the beginning of it. But as you continue to keep taking steps and you get closer and closer, you realize the reality is much closer than you can actually see Absolutely. And I think when you, when you describe going home and talking to your mother about being teased on the basketball court, you know, and, and her telling you to, to, to keep going, that you can do this, you know, and, and for you to reflect on that after your career and typing all this out, it's like, wow, 
those little things along the way that got you, that, you know, made you feel supported no matter what kept you going. Yeah. I mean, that's vital having that motherless, that motherless support. I mean, that's very essential to, I think anyone's success. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that really starts the, the process and having that type of, you know, love and affection at home where it all starts. I mean, it makes it that much easier to ignore the outside world because of the most important people that you have in your corners. It's yeah, right there with absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, it's an honor to get to talk to you about this, Muggsy. I feel like I was a fan of your game, fan of your acting skills. Now I'm a fan of your writing. <laughs> it's so, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just such a pleasure to get to unpack the book with you and talk about it. And any sports fans that are listening, I'm sure a ton of basketball fans that are listening, I highly recommend this book as like an insight to, to Muggsy's life. Uh, thank you. I want to say thank you for having me. I truly enjoyed this interview. It's been such a great discussion today. Um, I'm just, it, and wasn't he planning on the Tuesday to turn out the, the way it did, but I'm so thankful I had got an opportunity to talk with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay, um, I think I might have to just say one. Um, I'm just going to do like a fake sign off. <laughs> and then I think Gerard will come back on and he'll talk to us a little bit about the ending. Um, so okay. thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bring It In. I appreciate you all. Oh, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> now I have Muggsy okay. Bogues watching me do a sign off. I'm a little